Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi there, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. My name's Lucinda Carney, and I'm your host as ever. And this week, we're going to talk about how we can develop a talent management strategy. Now, I think you could also think about this in terms of OD strategy, um, HR strategy, learning and development strategy, because anything with strategy in the title, and we have covered similar topics before, but perhaps not in this exact same way with regards to talent management. The main key that we have to always remember is that whichever the heading, the key is it must align with business strategy. The point that it's got strategy in the title means we're there to enable the business achieving outcomes. And we always need to be able to be mindful of and make that link overt. Now, being mindful of and making that link overt has two benefits to us. One is it means that we're much more likely to get the investment um, from those who hold the purse strings, but also people are going to buy into things. They understand why we're putting things in place. They're not just saying that you're doing some development for the sake of it. They can see there's a purpose for the individual and for the business. So the key part of this is all of them should align with business strategy. But I think there are some subtle differences between them. Now, of course, this is just my personal opinion, and I thought it would be helpful to maybe differentiate to get us thinking about that, perhaps pose the question to you um, as the listener. What do you see as the difference between OD and HR, between talent management and learning and development, between the four of them? How are they different and how do they overlap? I'm sure I've got listeners with all of those in their titles, OD, L&D, talent management, HR. The question is, does your job encompass just one of these strategies or actually does it have overlaps? So I'm sure that we'd find that we had a number of people in the room with talent management in their title, there would be overlaps between their roles. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? So for me, it was thinking about what the subtle differences might be between them. So Organisational development, uh, I know I'm in the minority here, but my personal view is that OD is potentially broader than HR and HR could be a subset of OD. It isn't how it tends to sit in organisations. But if we look at things more um, classically, you tend to think if you're involved in something that's to do with change, culture, culture change, then that is often OD. Now, that might well be in your job remit if you're in learning and development, HR or talent management. But generally speaking, if it's something to do with change, that would be different, um, or that would, that would mean that what you're doing would link to OD. The other thing for me that means that OD can sometimes span a broader space is the fact that OD is often about broader business structures and processes. So that might include things like lean engineering or process business process re-engineering or Six Sigma, some of those other um, business improvement type processes. So those might fit into OD and those typically would sit out of HRLD and talent. So that's my subtle difference that I draw on OD. If we think about HR, well, to me, HR 
can differ from OD and talent and L&D to an extent in that HR have still got to manage the day-to-day. There is no doubt that if you're building an HR strategy, you might need to focus on how to optimise transactional processes, whether it's turning recruitment online, improving onboarding. Uh, It could be about um, enhancing your disciplinary and grievance process or embedding it. It could be compliance. There's lots of transactional business-driven activities that have to sit in an HR strategy quite often. Um, Now, the difference with those between, if we said something like an HR strategy might also encompass something like a performance management process. Now, that to me could also fit within possibly any of the others, but certainly within talent management and OD as a strategy. So again, we have an area for overlap. If we then move into talent management strategy, and I think where talent management and learning and development, I think, how do they differ? Because very often, if you're in talent management, it would be a a different term for learning and development or someone who sits within the L&D space. And to me, the talent management role or a strategy there, it's a narrower development focus, um, but maybe longer, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is it may go across the employee life cycle. So it could include recruitment, um, then development, then the performance management and upskilling and career paths of people which are a narrower population than would apply to learning and development. So to me, learning and development is a broader role. It's more holistic. It might be more learner-centric, still business-oriented, but they may look at both uh, learner-driven requirements and business-driven requirements for people to develop, whereas the talent strategy might be aimed at specific populations of people, and it's about development and retention of key skills that are seen to be key to the business strategy. So development would sit in there, possibly recruitment might sit in there in a certain area because it's about that end-to-end management of those individuals. Of course, that then brings us into the umbrella of what do we mean by talent management and how do we define talent in our organisation? So I I recently posed this question when I ran this as a webinar and I asked people who would be considered to be talent in their organisation? So if you were to think about how the term is used, assuming that it is used in your organisation, think about this in terms of A, B or C. Would people be referring, if they use the term talent, to a very select five or 10% of employees based on performance, most likely? Or would they be thinking about various pockets of individuals who have got key skills that are aligned to business need? Or would they be thinking about everyone, where it's about identifying key skills for people and helping to get the most out of them? So everyone has got talents, let's say, and it's about bringing those to the fore and giving people the opportunity to use them. So those are three different mentalities, if you like, that would be used aligned to talent. And the interesting thing about that is, depending on what your business strategy is, they all have pros and cons, and you need to make sure that the the right approach uh, supports your business strategy, is in line with your business strategy. So if we take those again in turn, um, if I was, if I had a strategy where you've got the select five or ten percent of employees, it's about performance, then that would be most appropriate from for a business or an organisation who are all about competition. It would be where they really need to 
possibly drive competition internally and externally and want to recognise the highest performance. It's more of a traditional approach to talent management, I would argue, and there are pros and cons to that in that it can be seen as very elitist, so you've got the risk that other people might be demotivated. On the other hand, you are able to focus your uh, revenues or your investment and time and attention into that group of people that potentially are the ones you want to take the business forwards. So that approach is one approach which is there, and I would say it fits most effectively in a very performance-driven organisation. It's more about the numbers. There are downsides of that in that people can feel like it's just about being a number. Now, the second one, which is you might be focusing on various pockets of people based on key skills, that for me is more about a retention or a development strategy. So if we're in the NHS, for example, we know you haven't got enough nurses in a certain area, uh, it would actually make more sense, um, because let's say nurses are the hardest, or paramedics are the hardest ones to recruit, to make sure that you've got a talent management strategy for that population of people, because that's where, um, as an organisation, you can... Uh, you've got the most risk to your ability to perform as an organisation um, and it's actually where you have the biggest issue in recruitment. So it's very, very important you retain people. So your talent, your strategy in many ways is about retention in order to be able to do what you're there to do as an organisation. And then uh, the other one, the, the final one, which is more about identifying key skills and everyone's got talent, that's much more about a people-driven culture. And I'd say that's an organisation that wants to be seen as being values-driven, people-driven. Uh, they want to perhaps be considered to be one of the top employers uh, in terms of employee engagement. So having, again, having asked you to reflect on how that might fit in your organisation, I suppose the question I'd then say is if you've got a talent management strategy which just looks at the 5 or 10%, but you want to be seen as a top employer or a values-based organisation, you can see that those two are potentially in conflict and you might want to refine how talent is viewed in that organisation and, and what it really means. So regardless of what you decide to do there, there are still many, many options or activities, interventions, whatever the terminology is that we can consider that might sit under the talent management heading. So if I'm to chuck a few words out there for the benefit. I've actually got a slide in front of me that if anyone wants these slides, um, they'll be available. There's also a webinar that you can link from the show notes if you would rather see the visuals as well. Um, and this this uh, is where I just brain dumped a load of terminology that for me would fit into talent management. So let's think about terms like talent profiles, leadership pipeline, learning and development, job families, high potentials, talent pools, training needs analysis, succession planning, retention, technical competency, assessment for development centres, career paths, secondments, nine box grids, flight risk, performance management, engagement, mentoring and coaching, strategic recruitment, career aspirations, competency mapping, workforce planning and promotion panels. And I'm sure that that is not an exhaustive list. But I dumped that down because I thought there's all these this stuff that we can end up doing, which would sit legitimately under the umbrella of talent management. Now, the question is, how on earth do we prioritise where to spend our energy and time and money in order to achieve the outcome that we're after here? And it strikes me that what we have to do here is 
look for the links and prioritize. So if I was trying to prioritize, clearly what I would do is go back to my earlier point, which is what's the purpose we're trying to achieve? By understanding the purpose, then it's easier for me to select the talent strategies that are most likely to deliver against that purpose. So if, for example, um, we have got a retention strategy, and let's give an example, which is actually, it's not about your fresh young things. We have got an aging workforce and we need to retain certain key legacy skills um, because technology has moved on and all the new people that come into the workforce uh, know how to use modern technology, let's say, but they don't know how to use old legacy technology that customers still have. Now that can be a real problem for an organisation as a whole demographic is leaving and retiring. So we might therefore, in that context, um, prioritise a retention strategy around legacy skills. And we might want to put in place technical career paths, um, which we did this successfully in business I worked for, where we identified key skills of people and we rather than pushing them up the pipeline into management, but we recognised and rewarded them in line with their technical skills and also the way in which they were prepared to mentor and disseminate those skills to others. So they weren't having to manage them, but they were still sharing that legacy knowledge. So that was career paths and it was a mentoring programme that became relevant to put in place there. And that seemed like an important way of doing it. It also linked into things like reward and recognition. So you could start to cluster um, and succession planning. So career paths, succession planning, a reward and recognition, technical development, those sort of strategies, you might also then start doing role profiling or competency mapping against those particular skills. And you might want to look for, get visibility of people with specific talent profiles and bring them into areas within the business. So little clusters of interventions might all support or flow uh, against that specific strategic need. Now, why am I saying bump things together? Well, one thing is because you'll get, if you do everything in a disparate way, then it's often hard to get buy-in from the business. They don't understand how things are connected, but also it's likely that you're going to get a synergy or a flow from these talent strategies if you tie those related ones together. Now, of course, you could argue that everything interrelates, so you have to be able to work out what comes first and come up with a logical time frame or order because you can't do everything at once. Now, one of the ways of prioritising, which is also worth considering from the start, is the sort of effort impact analysis. So if you look at the different things that you can choose, how much effort, whether that's time or money, needs to go into something and how guaranteed or what's the likelihood of you getting the impact that you're after from it. So doing that analysis up front, thinking about how do different strategies support each other, what's the logical time frame or order for them, and what's the effort versus impact, that will soon help you to identify what your top priorities are. Now, once you've identified them, you do need, if you're going to build a strategy, is work out what are the desired outcomes, because it's the outcomes of that strategy that you need to be able to link to the desired business outcomes. So if you retain all those legacy skills, that should mean that you're more competitive in the marketplace than your competitor who's only got new skills or can't, uh, who can't deal with legacy systems. So you need to have your outcomes defined and also the right metrics to measure success. Now, outcomes and metrics, they're relevant 
because they also are a great way in which if you're going to go and get investment from elsewhere in the organization, we get accused of being fluffy far too often. So outcomes and metrics are the way in which you demonstrate that this is a, a well thought through business focused talent management strategy that's aligned with business need. That in turn will make it far, far easier for you to get buy-in and commitment. So those strategies, now I'm saying these strategies, you've got your plan, you'd be putting them into links. I'm visualizing, I tend to do things on PowerPoint, but I have seen things in very long Word documents, but there's probably gonna be a level of detail. Um, you maybe need to think about what would you do year one, three and five. Um, you've got an order, you've got outcomes and metrics. So you can start to build these things out and you've got a succession of slides which make up your strategy. One thing that I am passionate about, which I found makes such a difference to getting the message across is whether you like to start with the detail and build to a big picture or whether you like to do it the other way around, make sure you can summarize that strategy onto one page. So I like to think of it as strategy on a page. What I found is it makes you have real clarity about what you're doing, what your priorities are, but it also makes it very easy for you to share with others. So you can present it, you can have it on posters. When you're asking for someone to do release where they're going to release someone to be a mentor or to uh, go on secondments, you can help them understand why they're doing that because they can see the link with your strategy on a page, which of course in turn delivers business performance. So quite common sense here, but I thought let's finish on a case study. So I've got a case study here, and this is actually an example of uh, an organization that I've just started working with, and they're a charity. The situation within this charity is that they've got a brand new chief executive who's under quite a lot of pressure to improve performance. So although often those of us who don't work for charities may think that everyone's lovely and motivated to, you know, against the values of the charity. Um, sometimes that isn't the case, maybe because of how they've been managed in the past. Uh, so this particular one had actually tried in the past to introduce things like performance related pay, um, positively in order to improve performance, but also reward, but they hadn't got it right. People had resisted it. They had got they're quite heavily unionized and they were not supportive of this and it resulted in people who are quite disillusioned and cynical and also high attrition and obviously high attrition is expensive in any organization but in this particular organization where the attrition lay is um, in very highly skilled roles which costs let's say 50 grand to train someone up over a year so it's not just the cost of losing that person and recruiting them it's also the training cost which is really high so you can see that that's something that they need to resolve. The question is, in terms of their talent management strategy, how do they resolve it and what's their priority? Now, if you think back to the priorities we talked of earlier, let's say we have our three options. Do we do our sort of five or 10% option? Do we do our specific talent schemes? Or do we do our everyone's um, talent approach? Well, I'll let you think about that. What do you think? I mean, my take is it's probably in most organizations, the middle one is where they're going to prioritize to a large extent. And the reason for that is that you can focus on those specific role that they're losing. It's really important that that specific role that is high cost that they're losing does need to be focused on. But that said, we also know that they have got a sense of overall disillusionment 
So probably the third option, I suppose the only strategy you wouldn't want to do in this organisation, I would suggest, is that very elitist five or 10%. It needs to be something that encompasses the whole organisation. Now, of course, what they actually have done, which is a great way of starting anything, is they've done a listening exercise or they're doing a listening exercise and they understand that people don't feel valued. That's why they're disillusioned. Thinking of cultures that you work in, obviously it's a charity. So we know people who are attracted to working for charities are probably more interested in giving something back. So valuing others is probably quite important to them. You don't want to feel like a number. It's going to affect them more than someone who's more motivated by money, let's say in financial services. Being very blunt, I'll probably get lots of hate mail for that, sorry. Um, but I'm just generalizing to make the point, please um, hope that's okay. So if we think about it, um, they need to go and listen. They understood that people didn't feel understood. Um, they felt that when they tried to introduce a performance related pay, for example, 10 years ago, uh, that had been counterproductive. And the reason that that was counterproductive was probably because it didn't have the right focus. It didn't come over as something which was about rewarding people for the value that they're putting in, about getting the best out of them. It was put over as a new process and not being about the people at all, which is probably why it was counterproductive. So there's lots of priorities that these guys need to focus on all at once. And of course, it's how do you work out where to start? So the key here is about the right organisational strategy and culture. So I think you could argue that this is more of an OD strategy that they need to do, although there's a stream of talent management within it. They need to make sure that anything they do comes over about valuing people and the contribution of their people wherever they are in the organisation, not just those in the very highly high to retrain um, jobs. They have decided that what they want to do, if they're going to do reward performance, it's not just about what people do. So they're looking at how much, to what degree people are behaving in line with the values. So it's about how people do that as well. And the issue there with any kind of culture change is that they need to consider, therefore, the established management behaviours, because those behaviours have been there for quite a long time. So they need to make sure that the management behaviours are going to reinforce the new way of doing things, the new values. So there's likelihood that they need to upskill their managers there. If they are going to introduce performance-related pay, then they need to upskill their managers in goal setting, feedback and coaching, along with other things. But then what's the output of this? Is the be all and end all pay? Because that's unlikely to be a motivator in an organisation like this. Actually, the pay for performance aspect is perhaps more about the organisation having visibility of performance and being fair in rewarding people. So what they also need to look at is giving people visible career opportunities, um, particularly for those in the key roles. Now, again, with any of these things, if it's a reasonably large organisation, which has got 2,000 odd stuff, then they need to make sure that the systems and processes tie things together. So it shouldn't be something which is a system-driven initiative, but they do need to make sure that they have the systems and processes that can enable them to administer things fairly. So if those who, if you're in a talent management role and you haven't got a system where you can see talent, it makes it hard for you to uh, manage it. If you're, if you have people's career aspirations which are buried in page ten of an appraisal form that's on Word or SharePoint, it's quite difficult for you to respond to it. So if they're going to look at systems and processes, then they want to have the ones that give them the visibility of the activities that they want to embed that are going to drive the organisation forward.
So there's lots of things that they need to think about. Um, and these are just a series of bullets that I've come up with. So then how do you pull it all together to your strategy on a page? Now, I'm not sure how well this will come over on a podcast, but I've pulled it together into a really simple, if you visualize a word art, just a four box area within the middle, um, we're saying the main drivers are high people and performance culture. So the point I'm making with this one is it's not just a performance culture, it's a high people and performance culture. And that's critical to an organization like this in terms of what they're trying to achieve. A high performance culture might be just perfect for a different organization. So in terms of this, I've just identified four priorities of which other things would fall out of them. So the first one is building trust. That's about listening to and involving staff in defining the new values and the desired culture. It's also going to be about following through on your commitments as an organization and doing what you say you're going to do. So to an extent that would be fed by having visibility through systems and processes, which is our fourth point, but the key is building trust in the organization so that they come along for the ride and they're not cynical. The second priority I've gone is about manager skills. Managers are going to need to be clear in their expectations, they need to be trained, they need to know how to set goals, feedback and coach if they're going to embed those new behaviours. They can make it fly or they can completely undermine it. So that's got to be a critical part, I would say, of the talent management strategy here. The third part I've chosen is about specialist career paths. So this is about uh, ensuring that those key roles have got a career to follow. And this is something where you don't have to push people up through man management unless they're meant to be man managers. You could actually look at how someone in a specific speciality could progress. We did it um, with engineers, for example. Uh, they can still become more senior in a role um, and develop others uh, in a sort of more artificial way without you forcing them into people management. But the main point is focusing in on that talent pool, if you like, which is particularly those high risk roles and understand what support and development they need and provide it to them and, and understand what would drive them. Is it about competency development? Is it about uh, technical training? Is it about the way they're managed? Is it about status? Understand what it is that would really um, get these people, and it might be completely individualized, but find out the way in which managing that particular population of talent and ensure they want to keep performing and how you can do that. And then the fourth point of this is having aligned systems and processes. So it all needed to be joined up, but that almost came forth. Um, and that's about which would pull things together. So the right systems, processes would allow that you to have the visibility, allocate reward and opportunities that are aligned to that how and what of performance, thereby supporting and reinforcing that high people and performance culture. And it takes us full circle back to building trust you're reinforcing trust in that organisation and it becomes a virtual cycle in terms of driving things forwards. So I'm not sure how clear that was um, without having a visual. If you want the visuals, there'll be um, the slide set can be downloaded uh, from the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, but it doesn't matter so much, this is just an example. It's about making sure that you're able to summarise this up so you've got a real clarity in one page if you possibly can, which will enable you to communicate more effectively about what your strategy is. Um, and behind it, you'd have these metrics and other ways in which you're going to reinforce it. So that's it. I hope you found it of interest and useful. As ever, I'm so tremendously grateful for people who take the time to give feedback um, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Uh, thank you very much, those who joined the LinkedIn group. 
Um, let me know what other topics you'd like to hear from us. And uh, also, uh, just letting you know, actually, at the time of sending this out, uh, there's a few places left on our first ever Change Superhero training course. So we've got two new offerings now, which have been triggered by the HR Uprising. One is the Change Superhero training course, which is going out on the 2nd of April in Hertfordshire. Um, there are currently, at the time of recording this, some spaces. You can go to HR Uprising forward slash HR uh, Change Superhero. We'll put links on the show notes. And also you can go to our Actus webpage and it's under our consultancy. The other thing that's going to be kicking off after Easter is our HR Mastermind. So if you're, particularly if you're in a standalone HR role, but it doesn't have to be that, that's going to be a very small cohort of people who will work really closely together over a couple of months meeting virtually so it doesn't matter where you're based and the idea is that we'll share challenges we'll learn from each other and we'll build that group of trust which will allow you to um, just essentially get that support network in place that enables you to grow together with others so if you're interested in any of those check out the show notes hruprising.com and uh, we'd love to to hear from you um, further and suggest other things that would be of interest to you have a great week Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.